Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 657. And Happy New Year. Well, it's been pretty chilly in many parts of the country in the past week or so. This morning in northern Minnesota, 30 below zero. These are actual temperatures, not wind chill. Northern Montana, 21 below zero. Southeast Nebraska, 6 below. Western Pennsylvania, 3 below. Here in the Boston area, it's warmed up to plus 5. But according to a story in the Boston Globe, this past Thursday, it was colder in Boston than it was in Tromsø, Norway, which is located within the Arctic Circle. Meanwhile, we have a note from our friend and Talking Birds ambassador Dave Haas up in beautiful but currently cold Lancaster, New Hampshire. He says, hey, Ray, quite a cold snap, huh? Today I had a starling bathing in my heated bird bath. The temperature was minus 5 degrees Fahrenheit. Lots of birds drinking, but this is the first time I've seen one taking a bath at that temperature. Maybe it's doing one of those New Year's polar bear swim things. What do you think? Well, Dave, I'm getting cold just thinking about it. There is some older research suggesting that starlings, for reasons apparently still unknown, are able to warm back up after exposure to cold faster than many other birds can do. So I suppose this could help explain their tolerance for those temperatures. We do know that bathing helps birds keep their feathers in good shape, just in case a bird like a cooper's hawk, for example, might swoop in in hopes of grabbing a snack. And speaking of cooper's hawks, <laughs> if you've been seeing a lot of them in your backyard lately, there may be a good explanation for that, at least in some areas. Coops are one of two hawk species, along with the sharp-shinned hawk, that are especially known for preying on feeder birds. And the Cooper's hawk population has been on the increase in recent years. Now a new study by New Mexico State University's Brian Millsap, reported in thebirdingwire.com, reveals that in some urban areas, Cooper's hawks are not only thriving, but actually outcompeting their rural neighbors for nest sites. The study in an area of northeast Albuquerque found that 30 times more hawks emigrated out of the urban area than immigrated into it, suggesting it was a source population for the surrounding region. Those city birds also have lots of food, especially since white-winged doves became established there in the 1980s. Another striking demonstration of how some bird species are adapting well to city life, and you can find the complete story on that at thebirdingwire.com. Meanwhile, back here in Massachusetts, Ian Nisbet, a great birder from Cape Cod, posted on the Mass Bird Forum on Friday, reminding all who have heated bird baths of the importance of keeping these filled during this cold weather. He said he had to refill his bird bath three times on Friday with more than two gallons of warm water each time. But it was worth it. He had all kinds of birds out there 
nine robins, 20 more queuing to get in there. Red-winged blackbirds, northern flickers, red-bellied woodpeckers, even a fox sparrow, the first one he'd seen, he says, in his yard for years. Well, just in time for New Year's Eve comes a story about why choosing bottles of wine that use natural cork stoppers instead of non-biodegradable synthetic stoppers or metal screw tops is good for the environment. According to an article in the latest edition of Sierra, the magazine of the conservation organization Sierra Club, the increasing use of synthetic wine stoppers is threatening the cork oak forests of the western Mediterranean. Those forests are starting to disappear for a number of reasons, including climate change, increasing forest fires, and overgrazing by farm animals, but also because synthetic wine bottle stoppers are replacing traditional cork. So as the need for farmers to maintain cork forests decreases, what was once biologically diverse woodland gets converted to monoculture, monocrop farming. According to the Sierra Club, the Mediterranean cork oak forests cover more than 6.5 million acres in Portugal, Spain, France, Italy, and North Africa. Biodiverse forests with more than 130 different plant species found within less than a square mile of a healthy cork oak forest. Those forests also represent critical habitat for endangered species like the Iberian lynx, imperial eagle, and a type of monkey known as the Barbary ape, and some deer species as well. And those forests do a great job of absorbing all that nasty carbon dioxide that we keep pumping into the atmosphere. In Portugal alone, some 10 million tons of CO2 are absorbed by cork oak trees annually. And harvesting coke is totally sustainable. That's because the cork is merely the spongy bark of the tree, and when harvested, the tree isn't felled or killed. Instead, the cork is pried off the tree in big sheets. A new layer of cork slowly regrows around the tree until about nine years later, the cork can be harvested again. There's a lot more to the story. Just look for the Holiday Cheer article on the online accessible Sierra Club magazine. And cheers. That is the sound of our mystery bird. This is a preview of our mystery bird contest coming along officially later in the show. Giving you a, 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 a listen to the sound of the bird and, and some clues here. Our mystery bird is just a little smaller than an American robin about nine inches in length. Its back is entirely black. Its sides are black and white. Its throat, chest, and belly are white. Its face is black with white and black mustache stripes. And the male has a yellow cap. Our bird feeds by chiseling away flakes of bark, especially on charred trees in search of wood-bearing insects and larvae. We have some fabulous prizes here as we wrap up the year here on Talking Birds including a Droll Yankees cute feeder, the cutest little chickadee feeder for any type of food. It even helps you manage the size of visiting birds with its height-adjustable dome. Plus a bonus prize of two 12-ounce bags of delicious birds and beans, shade-grown bird-friendly coffee, and something nutritious and delicious for many of your backyard birds, a 16-ounce pack of Audubon Park mealworms. That's our mystery bird uh, preview. We'll give you the phone number, too, so you'll have it handy. Don't call now, but we'll 
invite your calls a little bit later. 781-837-4900 would be that uh, number. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here are some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. On last week's show, our Mike O'Connor told us about making vegetarian suet. Well, on our Facebook page right now, you can read how he did it. His story contains appetizing phrases like, We then blended the hot, greasy goo with the dry, dusty seed. Sounds pretty good, huh? Migratory birds need our help. The American Bird Conservancy is urging us to join them in telling Congress to oppose changes to the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. Read all about it on our Facebook page. And if you'd like to see a strikingly beautiful photo of an eastern bluebird, our Facebook page is the place to go for what we have uh, there is a picture taken by our friend Maya Kennedy. It is a beautiful picture of an eastern bluebird. We'd like to say uh, thank you to the latest Talking Birds ambassador, and that is André Dubreuil up in Trois-Rivières, Quebec, Canada, up on the north shore of the St. Lawrence River. And uh, she has a bird-feeding secret that she wanted to share with us involving plungers. Yeah, those things you use to unplug drains. André says, when the snow is too high and I cannot reach the feeders... I simply plunk a lot of plungers into the snowbanks, the plunger part facing upwards. They're easy to fill, they avoid fights between birds, and they are easily cleaned in a bucket of eco-friendly detergent. They're soft on the birds' claws and legs, and doves even sit on them for hours. They can be distributed with various seeds, and your handy hardware store will have pity on you, thinking you are a landlord with some heavy-duty plumbing problems. They'll usually give you one free, she says, for every dozen purchased. And she adds, if you need to get really in the festive mood, just add bows and branches of millet. Well, that's from Andre, our new ambassador in Trois-Rivières, Quebec, Canada. Thank you, Andre, for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you will join Andre and become part of our Talking Birds Ambassadors program. Just hand out some of our info cards to your friends and associates to spread the word about the show and about birds and conservation. Easy to do and easy to sign up for. Just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Just a reminder, there's no G in Talking. Well, here's our conservation salute of the week, and it begins with a question. What do the following companies have in common? Walmart, Anheuser-Busch, J.B. Hunt Trucking, PepsiCo, and UPS. The answer? Here's the answer. It is that all these big companies have placed orders for Tesla's new pure electric semi-truck. That's the big kind that hauls the huge trailers that carry millions of tons of goods burn millions of gallons of fuel and spew millions of tons of pollutants into the air every year. So these companies are in the vanguard of a pretty important development, switching from ultra-low mileage, ultra-high polluting vehicles to ultra-high mileage, zero-emissions vehicles. Now, it's true that much of the electricity created to charge the vehicles still comes from fossil fuel plants, but the trend is clearly away from those sources. 
to clean renewable sources like wind and solar and hydropower, among others. It's also true that these companies are motivated to make the switch, at least in part because it will ultimately save them a whole lot of money and fuel and maintenance costs. But they will be doing well by doing good and joining the clean energy revolution. So we give a Talking Birds conservation salute to Walmart, Anheuser-Busch, J.B. Hunt Trucking, PepsiCo, and the newest and so far biggest buyer of these new electric trucks, United Parcel Service, UPS, which has just ordered 125 Tesla electric semis at a cost of about $200,000 each. That's tens of thousands of dollars more than the cost of a conventional truck. But UPS and those other companies figure these trucks will save them money in the long run, and certainly our environment will be the better for it. Here's hoping that many, many other companies will follow their lead in moving to clean vehicle propulsion. Still to come on our show today, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment. He has some timely thoughts and bird-related ideas for the new year. Also this morning, we'll reprise a conversation with the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's Elliot Miller about the pecking order of the birds in your backyard. And up next, the Butterbill is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. In a recent posting on the Mass Bird Forum, a birder from coastal Massachusetts noticed that she'd heard a clear, plaintive whistle coming from the vicinity of a large gathering of sea ducks. She did a little internet search and concluded that the whistles were coming from today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend, the Black Scoter. Unlike its close relatives, the white-winged scoter and the surf scoter, our bird, as its name suggests, is pretty much entirely black, except for at the base of its bill, where there's a large yellow knob. That gives it one of its nicknames, Butterbill. In French, the black scoter is called Macreuse Noire, which translates to, well, black scoter. Our bird dives for crustaceans and mollusks while wintering on the sea coasts, sometimes in very large flocks, and feeds on insects and larvae while nesting on fresh water. In North America, the black scoter breeds in Labrador and Newfoundland to southeast Hudson Bay and winters along the Atlantic and Pacific coasts of the U.S. and Canada, as well as along the Gulf Coast, with some overwintering on the Great Lakes. Black scoters sometimes perform an unusual display while swimming, in which they look, momentarily, as though they've suffered a broken neck as they flap their wings with the body held high and thrust their head downward. The whistling butterbill, the black scoter, Melanita Americana. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Look for it this winter if there's a seacoast near you. Thanks again for being with us on our last show of the year, number 657. Winter is a wonderful time for feeding birds. And Project Feeder Watch, by which we can all count our feeder birds for science, 
is well underway, continues through part of April. You can learn about it at projectfeederwatch.org. Meanwhile, we're about to revisit a chat from earlier this year that's part of Project Feeder Watch, looking at the interactions between birds at your feeders. To get some answers about this and a couple other things, we spoke to Cornell Lab of Ornithology postdoctoral researcher Elliot Miller, and we started out by asking him to describe the project. Well, um, the project's being run in conjunction with uh, Feeder Watch, Project Feeder Watch. Mm-hmm. is now a, a part of the uh, Project Feeder Watch. And so in that project, uh, people are telling us what birds are at their feeders. And this has been going on for about 30 years now. Uh, mm-hmm. And we, we just sort of have added the ability now to, to tabulate these interactions so people can tell us not only which birds are at their feeders, but what they're doing. And so, you know, we're finding out information on aggression at bird feeders, uh, which birds are fighting with which other ones and who's winning those. And we're finding out that, uh, you know, across, across the country, people are seeing pretty similar things and, and the same birds are dominant across the country. So these, these relationships are pretty consistent across the country and they, they sort of form a, uh, an almost linear pecking order that's, that's quite consistent. So this is uh, related to body mass of birds in part, and, and what else? Yeah, yeah. So body mass is the main predictor of who wins these interactions, and bill size is also relevant. And so you end up seeing these these patterns. The overall body mass is the, the explainer of this, but, but certain groups of birds, say woodpeckers, are a little more dominant than you might expect based on their body mass. And so woodpeckers seem to be able to get preferential access to bird food, Chickadees, on the other hand, not quite as much. It's a little bit of a surprise about uh, chickadees because we think of them as being pretty aggressive or at least pretty bold in coming to feeders, but not so in terms of interacting with other species. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, they're quite bold. They'll come in. Some people may even have them, you know, tame tame enough to feed off of their hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to actually fighting with the other birds at the feeders, chickadees tend to, to be quite subordinate. They're, they're really not as dominant as, uh, as some other things like woodpeckers. Hmm. Seems like a surprise. Are any other surprises or any surprises that you found in the study? Yeah. It, so far, we only have a little bit of information on some species, uh, say yellow, yellow-bellied sapsucker. Um, but we're finding that, that that species, for instance, is much more dominant than you might expect. And so it's really able to get preferential access. We find that things like starlings and house sparrows, which I'm sure is no surprise to anyone else uh, who feeds birds. But, <clears throat> excuse me, but these guys can really get get access to food almost whenever they want. They're really quite dominant at feeders, um, so that's also a, a thing. Hmm, interesting. Well, this is a little bit off topic, but we uh, we talked about this off the air, uh, Elliot. We got an email from uh, Randy down in Austin, Texas, who's curious about... Uh, the 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 fear or flight uh, response of birds. He says when he lived on a Puget Sound island in Washington, North Washington, the chickadees, titmice, and nuthatches would land right on his shoulders while he was filling the feeders. But here he says, north of Austin, now they flee the moment I'm out the door. He says I think it's a rural versus city thing, but maybe not. Why are some species easier with human proximity than others? What's your take on that? Well, when you mentioned that to me, I thought, you know, the first thing was he may have just had birds in, in Puget Sound that, that his neighbor had, had been feeding for a while. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. Um, but 
it's also very possible that that urban birds are are more or less sensitive to to feeding. I don't know enough about that really. My first thought really is just that that his birds, his personal birds up that he was feeding in Puget Sound, may have just gotten used to him or his neighbor or something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe he's got a really squeaky door there in Austin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the neighbor shoots at them with a deep gun. <laughs> well, uh, you mentioned Project Feeder Watch, Elliot, uh, and your project is is part of that, and it's an important tool for tracking uh, bird population movements and distribution and abundance. How do you see the implementation of the information that you're collecting? Well, um, right now we've got two papers we're working on from the data that came in last year and is coming in this year. Uh, the, the main one we're working on is just trying to understand what the dominant hierarchy looks like among all these feeder birds across all of the continent. W- once we have that, we can start using it to ask interesting questions about what might happen with climate change if, if certain species might be, in, be interacting that, that hadn't in the past and, and who might win those contests and how that might influence their access to resources. So we're sort of starting to think in that line now. Um, First, first step is just sort of starting to summarize the, the information, though. Dr. Elliot Miller is a postdoctoral researcher at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. One of his current projects aims to figure out what's really going on between various species out there at your bird feeders. Elliot, thanks for being with us. We'll look forward to hearing more about your research. Thank you so much. Up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. My name's Maurice Ives, calling from Tucson, Arizona. If someone is interested in becoming an ambassador, I think it gives a really neat feeling of being an active part of Ray's Talking Birds family. It adds really nice energy to our interest in birds and nature. And I think we could really use a lot more of this in today's world. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks. That's the sound of our mystery bird. That's our mystery bird contest. New Year's resolution, better clock management on the program next year. Give us a call as soon as you can if you want to take a guess at or tell us what this bird is. No correct answer means a drawing determines our winner. We have a beautiful Droll Yankees cute feeder. Marvelous little chickadee feeder. Great for any type of food. We also have two 12-ounce bags of birds and beans. Delicious shade-grown bird-friendly coffee. And a 16-ounce pack of Audubon Park mealworms as our prizes on the Mystery Bird Contest this morning. Our bird's a little smaller than an American robin, about 9 inches in length. Its back is black, sides black and white, throat, chest, and belly are white. Face is black with white and black mustache stripes. And the male has a yellow cap. What is it? Tell us or take your guess at 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, down to Cape Cod, we'll check in with Mike O'Connor in just one minute.
Our friends at Audubon Park remind us that they're counting on us. It's the time of year when birds really need nutritious, high-energy food to help them cope with cold weather. Look for Audubon Park wild bird food and be confident that you're providing the proper nutrition for your backyard visitors. Audubon Park is family-owned and food safety certified. And for the best photos, news, alerts, and more, sign up for Audubon Park's free e-newsletter sent to your inbox once a month. Sign up at AudubonPark.com. That's AudubonPark.com. Now a word from Birdwatching Magazine. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Whether you enjoy birds in your own backyard or far afield, you'll find information in every issue to help you find, attract, identify, and understand birds. Regular contributors include Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and other birding experts. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Down to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, where rumor has it it's sunny and 75 degrees. At least uh, on somebody's sun porch. Mike O'Connor is down there where they're making resolutions and rescuing seals. Good morning, Mike. That's right. It's not even 75 degrees in my living room right now. <laughs> you got to pay the heating bill. I've been telling you this for months. <laughs> but you know what? I just figured out a way to make money to... Uh to pay the heating bill. I'm going to put in a whole display at the store of plungers. plungers. What a great idea. Yeah, plungers, that's, that's the thing for 2018. <laughs> plungers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of high-end. I like that. That'll go good in Chatham. I think they'll, they'll love that. Just about that seal reference, a little baby seal, maybe a harbor seal we think was rescued from a highway, Route 6A on Cape Cod, kind of swam in there through the frozen creek and... <laughs> About that, right? Yeah, I got yeah. lost. I, uh, yeah, I just, I just was reading that myself. That a little probably a harvest seal was on the on the road. Right on, on the, the road. road. Yeah, hitchhiking perhaps. They've released him though. He's he's back in the ocean. We're told. Oh, oh really? So yeah. they didn't keep him from like observation, as they say, or any of that stuff. <laughs> Apparently not. At least only for a short time. So, cool. Mike, the new year is coming. What what are we gonna, what are we going to do? Well, new Year's I, resolutions. This is what I encouraged last year, and I don't know if anybody did it, but I sure did. It's, it's to make a list of three things. Three new birds that you want to see mm-hmm. or you haven't seen for a while, and also three places that you've never gone birding. I think we mm-hmm. all go birding the same places, mm-hmm. you know, our backyard, maybe a, a park, um, and and pick up the map and find a new place to go. I know I want to go. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while. You uh, you talk about the Boston Boston Harbor Islands. I want to go out there. I've never mm-hmm. been there. I'm kind of ashamed to say it. It's just like an hour and a half away from here. So that's on my list. I'm going out west this year. And I've been to Arizona a few times. you got an ambassador from Tucson. I'm going that er- in that area. But there's an area called Florida Canyon in, in Arizona, of all places. And I've been reading some good things about it. So that's going to be on my list of new places to go. Mm-hmm. And hopefully on my list of birds to see when I go out there will be California condor that I've never seen. And, and a rented which has hilarious name, and, and looking at the photos, it looks like a hilarious bird. So those are all my list of birds to see and places to go, and I think people just take three three new birds, three new places, and spend the whole year, get a whole year to work on it, mm-hmm. and do it. And in the meanwhile, i got to go buy some plungers. <laughs> all right, so three new birds and, and, and new places, like what, the Bird Watchers General Store in Cape Cod. Yeah, that'd be cool. That's a good destination. <laughs> Happy New Year, Mike. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll talk to you next year, Ray. I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on, you know? Log on to yougottobekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle. 
Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Don't be that guy. Log on to yougottobekidding.org. Back to the mystery bird contest, trying to identify this mystery bird in the short amount of time we have remaining on our final show of the year, 781-837-4900. What is our mystery bird? Uh, Charlie, our friend in Hanover, Mass., has has an answer for us. Good morning, Charlie. Hey, Ray, how you doing? Doing well. What do you think, Charlie? Hey, I'm really happy to you. I know you're pressed for time. Uh, my guess is a downy woodpecker. Downy woodpecker is a top-quality guess, Charlie. But uh, you'll do better in, in the new year, I'm certain. All right, my friend. Always a pleasure. Have a great new year, Ray. Thank you so much. You too, Charlie. We'll go to Bill Bye-bye in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Ray. How is it down there? I bet it's warmer than it is up here a little bit. A little bit. We're just hanging around freezing right now. Around the freezing mark. Okay, suddenly that sounds kind of warm. Yes, by it comparison. does. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, uh, Bill, you heard uh, the clues there and uh, the sound of our mystery bird. Uh, what do you say? I'm going with the uh, black-backed woodpecker. A round of applause for Bill down there in Charlotte, hey. North Carolina. Nice job. We had a black-backed woodpecker uh, in Boston a couple of years ago. Um, that caused quite a sensation, a bird from way up north. Hey, oh, Bill, we're out of time. Happy New Year, and stay on the line. We'll get your info and send you that, uh, uh, that beautiful raft of prizes. Thank you, sir. Have a a happy new year. Thank you so much. That's Bill in Charlotte, North Carolina, correctly identifying the black-backed woodpecker as our mystery bird. Well, one more time, happy new year to all. Please keep in touch with us, and we will talk to you again in the new year. Thanks to Mark Duffield, Debbie Bleacher, and Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.